Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about this uh, little known, little publicized movie called A Star is Born and I am very happy to be joined by my friend Maya. Maya, how's it going? Thank you for being here. Going all right. Thank you. I'm excited to be here too. Yeah, so Maya did an episode of my old podcast on uh, Avengers Infinity War and I think I'm going to try and make her the Marvel correspondent for this podcast if it's a title she'll take but I'm glad that she was uh, happy to join us for a star is born and as i was telling her like hey you got to make your debut soon and she said hey i got you if you want to do it on this one i said sure and uh, unfortunately my friend daniel who you've heard on this podcast a few times is going to join us he got sick uh, i'm going to find a way at some point maybe to incorporate his thoughts um on a star is born in at a later date because he was very excited for this movie but i have some travel plans and the show must go on so uh here we are but one of the reasons i was excited about having daniel is that he took the time to watch all of his movies and do his homework i had not maya has now watched just about all of the previous a star is born movies so you're much more of a scholar than i am um what what yeah i'll put that on my linkedin profile yeah but you you actually kind of uh f- found the time to watch them uh since you saw the new one last night so you went in kind of yeah you went in kind of blind like i did also and uh or no i don't not blind everyone knew something about it i was being facetious at the beginning when i said it was a little publicized movie everyone had seen the trailer a hundred thousand times but i did say what were your initial thoughts maya when you saw that this was going to be a movie and uh how high were your expectations based on the, the people involved and what was your biggest takeaway so when I saw that they were making the trailer, um, I think it was actually before a Marvel movie that the trailer came out. I was, I was kind of like, ah, oh, not another remake. God, they keep doing this over and over again with every single movie. And I was kind of over it. But now that I've seen, and I'll, I'll delve into this now that I've seen all of the, the prequels, so mm-hmm. to speak for, Uh, A Star is Born, not only do I totally appreciate this movie even more, but it's definitely a love letter to the other one. So it was, I was nervous at first, especially because I didn't even know Bradley Cooper could sing and I didn't know Lady Gaga could act. And (laughs) boy, was I wrong. So you never watched uh, Lady Gaga when she like did that American Horror Story season? I didn't either. Um, No, No, I've never seen an episode of the show. You know, I don't like, I I actually don't like horror and I don't understand people who like horror. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've I've gotten a little more into horror the last couple of years, but I've never watched that show either. But a lot of people do watch it. But that was a lot of people's only exposure to her as an actress. She did like, she had like a, a cameo in The Sopranos when she was like 15 and she said when she accepted her Emmy for a uh, guest actress and a supporting actress in a miniseries or whatever it was for what she won for American Horror Story, I always wanted to be an actor first. But still, there's a big leap from like having a kind of a guest supporting spot on a miniseries to leading a major motion picture uh, opposite a three-time Oscar-nominated actor. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. And she's definitely going to talk about that in her Golden Globe acceptance speech. Right. Well, we can we can talk about awards a little bit later, but I mean, who knows? Maybe I think they're both these people are definitely getting nominated for uh, acting Oscars. Oh, yeah. But um, so you were you were scared though going in. You, I mean, the, these people are outside their comfort zone a little bit. Bradley Cooper singing, Bradley Cooper directing for the first time, Lady Gaga, writer, acting. director, musician, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. songwriter. I mean, like go on and on and on. Like this guy came from being like even though i really liked him in american sniper i liked him in a lot of his other movies but i thought he was just one of those you know pretty boy meatheads who got really <laughs> lucky out of you know going from the actress studio and man this guy has talent i mean it's kind of shocking to me how talented he was like not only did i enjoy his singing as someone who's a singer not only did i enjoy his singing i find myself listening to his songs in his voice Thinking like that's so dreamy. He's so good. He's well, I think so what's like, I think what's impressed. actually part of what was most impressive to me about his performance is that it's not his voice, and it's a plot point in the movie. Also, it's kind of meta because you know I don't know if you've read the stuff about the movie, but um, he learned how to imitate Sam Elliott's voice in a way yeah. to like impress him to get him to do the movie. And I should I should back up for a second and say the plot of the movie for before we even get, jump into this for people that haven't watched all four of them or even or I I'm I'm we're going to spoil this thing throughout. So if you haven't seen it yet, definitely Sorry. go see it. Definitely go definitely <laughs> go see it and come back and then listen to Maya and I talk and talk about it. But I mean, uh Bradley Cooper plays a guy named Jackson Maine, which is a name, uh, yeah, a manly a manly name. 
he is a famous uh what what genre do you describe his music country rock alt country something country like that. country rock definitely country rock a country rock singer because that's a really popular genre these days i guess <laughs> uh i know i mean i'm not a huge huge country music fan at all i'm not a big music fan at all which i think gives me a very different perspective on this movie maybe doesn't make me the best person to be talking about it but this is my podcast so you got to deal with that <laughs> uh he uh I think one of the more modern parallels people made for him is uh, Jason Isbell, who's a, a musician, but he actually helped him write uh, a couple of the songs on this movie, including uh, Let the Old Ways Die. But Jackson Maine is a, I don't want to say washed up because he's still drawing big crowds at the beginning of this movie, but a, a singer who has seen better times and probably had the best of his, the best of his career has passed him, but he's still a pretty recognizable, famous guy. And he is also a drunk and stumbles into a bar, a drag bar one night and, uh, sees, uh, a woman named Allie, uh, performing a song and they happen to strike up a, a conversation at the end of the night and he, uh, invites her to tour with him and they form a relationship, both romantic and professional. And it goes from there. Her star is born there you go. That's the name of the movie, and his is kind of on the decline. And that's kind of the gist of this movie, but also the other movies that came before it, though. I guess like two of the prior movies are the the star is an actress as opposed to a singer, correct? Correct. So there. Well, the, in the second one, I mean, Judy Garland is Judy Garland, so she sings as well as but she sings for the film because musicals were very popular at the time that that movie came out. They definitely transform each movie based off of you know, what the time period kind of calls for. True. And I think this movie has some interesting things to say about the modern music industry, even if it's a, its main character is of a genre that really isn't as popular as his character is anymore. He's kind of, he's almost a, he's a man out of time for sure. Anyway. So are we going to like spoil, spoil this movie, like the entire movie? Yeah. The entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but I mean, like, I mean, I don't know. I I don't know if necessarily want to, I don't, we don't, we don't have to start at the end, but I mean, well, no, but, 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 but given everything we already discussed and your concerns going in and what you were thinking about it, what, what do you think when, when you left this movie though, like, was there like a big takeaway about like, man, I I'm glad they got that right. Or that's really, that's like the one thing I think really stood out for me. Was there like a big takeaway for you? Cause I, I have one. So yes, because I left this movie, I saw it with my mom and my mom was actually very upset with the way that it was cut. She thought it was done a little bit too choppy. I said, well, no, I think that this is very much a really important narrative about kind of the disease surrounding with drug abuse and alcoholism. And the reason why it's choppy is because if you notice, each vignette is describing a high and then kind of combating it with a low in the next vignette. So it's, it's really important to kind of emphasize that it has to be a choppy narrative. And that's, that's something that they do in all the movies. But I think this one in particular got so many things right that I didn't appreciate until after seeing the other ones. And, and it's just so apparent how they kind of took the um, the emphasis of Jackson appreciating Ali's talent, especially in the, you know, the Me Too era where he was very respectful for her. He was very gentlemanly. And that, I noticed that they were very delicate about that because when you have a superstar and you have a kind of kind of somebody who's just singing in a in a RuPaul uh, inspired drag bar, which just made me so happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you really see, you know, an opportunity for, uh, for somebody to kind of poach on his talent to kind of, um, take advantage of that. And that's, that just never happened. And he just really, you could tell the chemistry and the love between the entire time. And it just, it was something that was very impressionable for me. Well, I'm glad you said that. Cause that's fairly similar to what I was going to say in that I think the movie subverted my expectations a lot as to just how their relationship was going to go. I think if you've seen a ton of movies, like I have, you just kind of expect, Oh, the guy's just going to get super jealous and that's going to lead to their relationship completely falling apart. Right. And he might not get the best vibe from this music producer that she ends up hooking up with. Uh, his name's Raz or Roz. It's not really that important. Uh, the and Rez. Rez, sure. Uh, but he, I one, I thought that like he was just gonna straight up blow up at that guy the moment he met him, and then he was just gonna get really angry at her for being more successful than him. And it's not that he's actually like really supportive of her. Uh, he might have a couple. He does have a couple moments where he says some not so nice things, though it's when he's heavily under the influence. And for the right. most part, though, he's like super super supportive, and it's not like the 
what I thought it was going to be the very predictable path of like someone just getting super jealous. And he's, it's more, the conflict is not that. It's more just her having to learn to love someone that has an addiction who, even though, because he was always there for her and it makes it really hard. And when someone you love has an addiction, like they kind of take up a lot of space in your life and you have to learn how to deal with it. And I thought that was just a far more interesting and less predictable way to go. And another way, not just their relationship, but you mentioned the stuff about the Me Too era. Too era. And I, maybe I should have given it more credit because I knew this movie was well-received and got good reviews, but I would, I just thought that producer Rez, Roz, whatever you want to call him, I thought he was going to be a total creep. And they set him up as being a little bit of a villain, but at the same time, he does turn her into a big star, and a lot of the stuff he says is right, and he doesn't do anything heinous. And I kept expecting something like that to happen too. And I thought the movie avoided a lot of like traditional pitfalls or plot points it could have hit that I was expecting it to hit, and it was like pleasantly surprised that it just did not do those things, and but still managed to actually tell what is ultimately a fairly simple traditional story in a very entertaining way. No, and I completely agree with that. I think that one of the things that makes their relationship so believable is that the moment that he kind of falls for her, he has to fall for her talent because, um, and if you see the movie, you'll see, um, she sings La Vie en Rose. That's the first song that we see hear her sing, and it's done in French, and it's just so beautiful. I mean, it's amazing. And this is based off of how, you know, Bradley Cooper actually was attracted into getting Lady Gaga for this role because she is just so talented and she just commands such a presence with her voice. But the way that her makeup is done is it's very much not looking like like Allie at all. She looks a lot like Edith Piaf. And so Jackson Maine has to be attracted by her talent. And that's what drives him. It's not like any other, you know, similar trope where man falls in love with this woman at first sight and because of her powerful looks and because she's just so drop dead gorgeous, he he is just taken by her. That's just not the case. And I think that that allows for Jackson to have this, you know, deep respect for for her which she has to offer and you just see that so apparent the entire time. So when you see her have an opportunity like the one that Rez gives her to become a superstar, he's going to have, you know, a lot of issues with the authenticity behind it. Because when you get so famous, you know, you kind of lose who you are and, you know, she changes her hair. She has a different, you know, poppy kind of um, song writing technique now. And it's just not what we see in the beginning. And we don't, we don't like it as much. It's very much like shown to be something that's not as um, engaging as the, uh, the traditional um, music that they play, but he still is so taken with her talent that at the end of the day, that is the reason that drives him to be who he is. It's not her looks. It's not like that kind of love. It's like, I appreciate her for her strength and who she is. Yeah. And I don't even think it's like, I mean, uh, way people might describe it is, Oh, he finds inspiration in, in this woman, but it's almost not even that necessarily because he doesn't, he writes one song the rest of the movie and it's the um it's the song that gets played at the end um i i'll I'll never love again and uh it's more that like i think he just finds like a purpose and i mean it's it's a thread throughout when he keeps going back to the alcohol and the drugs that uh like being a celebrity is hard and when you're not in the spotlight and you don't know what to do with yourself you'll you might just kind of lose direction and bury yourself in those kind of things but he, he doesn't while he might not find inspiration he finds a purpose in like trying to uh bring her artistry out to the world and he some of his backslides occur when he feels like that's not really happening because of like what you said she gets pulled in a different kind of direction and that's been one of the criticisms of this movie to a certain extent I, that I've seen more in what I've been reading is people thinking that like the movie is not so graceful and necessarily in what it has to say about pop versus like traditional rock. And I don't know if that's something you thought about at all because it's obviously it's it's kind of taking the stance that, like this other stuff she starts doing later in the movie, the the ass and the jeans song or whatever oh, that yeah. is when she's on SNL. Like that's not good. And the movie's just like it's almost like taking like a an arm's length negative view of pop music and it doesn't need to do that like i mean pop music can be good too but i i, I mean I, I i'm still trying to grasp what i feel about that because i mean at the same time yeah i mean yeah pop music can be good but maybe this is just not what these characters are meant to do and because i mean this her songs are better in the first half of the movie 
but yeah, I mean, I, I think that is an interesting thing that the movie does deal with throughout is just being true to yourself as an artist. And it, that's, that's part of what made their bond so meaningful to and come across so well to me. I, I, some people also said they thought the – and your mom talked about it being choppy, and um, I've heard other people say the second half of the movie was uh, – was just slower or that they yeah, thought her, thought her so. career career ascended too fast and they didn't like the pacing. And I can kind of see where people are coming from on that. But um, And other people thought, oh, they got married really fast. But I just kind of felt as it dropped in and them at certain points in their life, like I kind of just felt I kind of get what's going on off screen. I get how their relationship is growing. And also their chemistry is just so good. Like I bought their connection and how they bonded over their art and – I just thought that like when when two actors have that kind of chemistry and you can just see how they do they do drive together then I I kind of got it and I didn't really need to see every single step of the relationship along the way because they clearly did have such a great connection like you said. Well, that's because those people didn't see the other movies because okay, so it is not How does that come in play? So the template for this movie is almost identical to the template for the other movies. And I think that is so important to note because I totally agreed with you until I saw that three other movies did the same exact thing. And the one that started it all won the Oscar for best writing of an original screenplay. You know, the fact that they got married too quickly, the fact that she rose to fame so quickly, the fact that he embarrasses her on stage when she wins a major award for her category. Hmm. And it's regardless of whether or not us as the audience feels that, you know, for her pop music in particular, and I, and I listened to the soundtrack and I heard those songs. I'm like, wow, this kind of sucks. <laughs> um, but, but I get it. I understand because it's not our impression as to what we think we're going to try and think in the perspective of the other protagonist. Mm -hmm. And because Jackson Maine thinks it stinks and it's very obvious, like her hair is not the right color. Her outfit is provocative. She's kind of like shaking her booty in the air. Like she don't care. And it's very much not the innocent, you know, like the alley that is just so, um approachable he, he called really he, he calls her out in that bathtub scene he reads off one of those ass in the jeans line i can't remember exactly what the line is I don't remember but that, he yeah. reads it off at her i took it as that like that wasn't even something she wrote i don't know if we're supposed to think she's writing all of her songs at that point no, or she not. wrote it oh she she's didn't write definitely it? written it like okay. i definitely got the impression that she wrote it because she says yes that's my song oh, what's okay. your point whether or not she feels authentic. And here's the thing that I love about this movie. We see so many moments of Ali's authenticity and, and like through that Lady Gaga. And this is what really drove me. Lady Gaga is also somebody who just shot into fame so quickly, literally with an album called The Fame. Um, hmm. You know, she was a nobody. She was, you know, um, in one episode of like an MTV TV show and she was doing like small DJ things. And then all of a sudden Poker Face came out. And she was everywhere. That song. I think like, Just Dance I might have been her first platinum. single. You're right. It was, it was Just Dance. Yeah. You're 100% correct. I, that it, I, it was my mistake. But, but it's a very similar like, kind of shoot up to fame. Right. And when you're looking historically at her songs that are the best, that is definitely catchy. And it's understandable that a catchy song can win, you know, a best new artist Grammy, which Ali does in this, in this movie. But at the same time, that's not her best song. You know, she has so many more authentic things. She did an entire thing with Tony Bennett kind of to just open up her artistry. But in this day and age, you need the song that has the catchiest tune that's going to get the most people to listen to it. And that's just not songs like Jackson Maine songs. Unfortunately, I mean, Shallow, I think, is an exception. But I think that's just because we are born to like that song. <laughs> uh, no, for sure. And I, I don't know. I guess the – yeah, and – it's weird because it's it's like a very it's very meta in that the character itself has some parallels uh, to Lady Gaga, even if as she has said on her press tour, like she herself is like much more confident than Ali is as a character, and so it, it's not exactly the same thing. And like we know Lady Gaga makes good pop music, and we aren't sure how to feel about the stuff here. And they are she's not the exact same person as Lady Gaga, so maybe she does know deep down that like hey, it's better for her to have 
she, her other her old songs were better, but I think that goes along with just part of what the movie's trying to say about the music industry in general, and and thus is very effective at doing so. Is that uh, you might start in this industry being very idealistic and knowing like exactly what you want to do, but it's gonna suck it out. It's gonna suck that idealism right out of you because it's not like she she signed up to go make the exact same ash shaking songs she's right. doing on snl i, I and i I've, I've seen the movie twice and I, I i just some stuff stuck out to me on the second viewing was it like the first thing that uh rez says to her when he meets her outside of like that second performance that she does with jackson of that um i guess i guess it's right after she is uh She's sung. I think it's the "Always Remember Us This Way" song. I think whatever one right. she plays at the piano, he could, that's the first time Rez approaches her, and he says like, "Oh, people need to hear what you have to say. I love what you're doing right now." And he's just right. saying, "I'm loving exactly what I'm seeing right here." So she gets lured into this, thinking that they want to do exactly what she's doing, and it even goes okay at first when there's that nice scene in the studio where Jackson like helps her and breaks out the piano, and like they put it put together really well and then it just slowly turns into something else where it's like hey here are these dancers here's this hair why aren't you using these dancers yeah and it's like (laughs) so i don't know i mean like i get that like the i i get that like the movie is maybe just telling you what side to be on with respect to her career but at the same time like i'm sure that happens to artists all the time where they like end up doing something different than what they had planned because that's just what the people in charge are telling them to do well, I mean, I think Kesha is also a really good example of that because you get put into a contract, a big contract like this, and there's an expectation of selling records. That's It's not about being authentic. It's not about mm-hmm. being you yep. know, your true self. It's you are paid to sell records, and we need to sell as many records as possible. And, you know, that's it's something that yeah, goes back to old Hollywood where they would put people in contract with MGM. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, those kids would be pumping out, you know – you know, 10 movies a year or something like that, putting on amphetamines to, you know, be up and downers to go to sleep. And they are working, you know, 20 hour days. I'm sure that, you know, there's so many different laws that are being in the entertainment industry that are not allowing for those extremes. But at the same time, if their studio exec says, listen, I don't like this song, song is not going to go out to the public, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing that that person can do about it because they're, they're signed, their life is signed away in a contract. And I think Allie has a lot of anxiety over, you know, what am I doing? Who am I anymore? And, you know, Jackson kind of calms her down because he's got experience. You know, he's got, I think it's kind of assumed that he's been doing this for about 20 years. Yeah. I I think Um, I hear the term, like, it's implied because he says, oh, I I didn't go to Europe till 2004 and I've been doing it for 10 years. So he's been doing it for almost 25 years, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So and he started off when he was about maybe sixteen or so. So also, they, I think it's implied that he's older, um, and he's got a, you know an older brother, Sam Elliott, who you know, that that thing leaves over that plot line by the way a little bit too much. That um, you know Sam Elliott and um, Bradley Cooper's dad was a 60 something year old man who impregnated a 17 year old girl. Yeah, that's like that's, that's a throwaway. That's a that's an odd throwaway <laughs> line for sure. <laughs> I, I think that, I mean like first of all, definitely understand the alcoholism in that case, you know, that's a little bit of a disturbing thing to kind of come to terms with, yeah. but like you know, at the same time I'm glad they ex- he, I gr- I'm glad I'm glad they explained that though. I mean, that may not be the that's fairly like a creepy thing but like i would have been wondering otherwise the whole movie how like they were brothers <laughs> i know i mean, just like well your dad was 63 i'm just like ah yeah. background i yeah, understand yeah, yeah yeah so i'm glad i got that exposition <laughs> I, I i'm too i i do kind of wish that he played the whole like sam elliott's my actual dad no surprise he raised me because he's my yeah, father but, but, then, but then you wouldn't have gotten that like really really uh emotional last scene with him you mean the for your consideration best supporting actor? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that, you need you needed the whole dad thing for that to happen. Yeah, and I thought it was you know what it was. I don't think anybody in my theater wasn't crying during that moment. I for sure wasn't. I regretted wearing makeup it was <laughs> down my face the entire you know last twenty minutes of the movie. I couldn't stop crying. It was really well done um but yeah well okay so then to get to get to that point where all the like a super emotional stuff happens though i mean you have to go uh, we, we talked a good amount about her well actually we didn't even talk about probably what we probably both will agree is the best scene in the movie which is um the first shallow performance but 
and we, and we could circle back to that because I'm going to ask about the best scenes maybe at the end or something like that. But, I mean, to get to all that really super sad stuff, though, you got to go through some um, pretty tough-to-watch stuff involving his addiction. And I, one of the other common things I've heard from a few people I've talked to about it, though, is that, yeah, they're like, oh, the first hour, great, fun. And I'm not going to argue with that. The first half hour of this movie is obviously, like, super fun. And then everyone's like, but then it gets slow. But, I mean, that's just the story. You know the source material obviously very well at this point. If that's the story, like, if the first thing's about someone's rise to fame and the re- a lot of it's about someone's, like, debilitating drug problem, of course the second part of it, the story is going to be slower. But how do you think this movie handled uh, just addiction in general now that you've kind of have something else to compare it to? I think that it handled addiction in this case better than the other movies because this movie kind of portrayed it as you can have the most fun person in the entire world who's addicted to alcohol and pretty much until they're passed out on the floor you won't have a care in the world about it and that's what a lot of you know that's what plagues the kind of discussion about alcoholism and addiction is like when do you know when it's too much is it when you're passed out on the floor and and it's just something that really you know disturbed me because bradley cooper's character was obviously an alcoholic to the audience but no no, he's he's obviously an an alcoholic to her too from the get-go and that's why i think it's a good point what you just made is that a lot of people will overlook that stuff until the person's just passed out on the floor because first time they're hanging out when they uh, cut from the drag bar, he takes like three hard shots when they're at the bar of like something like the first time they cut on screen when, right. when they're at that cop bar, he's down in the drinks. Then like a day later when they're driving on the motorcycle, she's like, look, I'm never driving on you at this thing when you're drinking again. And she, she knows that it wasn't just like a, a one time or two time thing when the first night they hook up and he passes out, like she gets the, she gets the idea very quickly and is still very all in with him. Right. And I think that the, the hard stop moment was what happened at the Grammys. But there's so many moments where she could have been like, hey, listen, I think you go a little too hard. I think you need to take a step back from this. And that well, she does. But then she does have that moment. And then she goes ahead and marries him six hours later. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> but that, that's what bothers me about it. It's like if you're going to have that moment and, and the first movie does it well. You know, there's I actually wrote down a quote. So. They both get married like really quickly. All of them get married very quickly. And you know, in the first movie, the character is actually um, named Esther Blodgett. They change her name to Vicky Lester. Vicky Lester um, is talking to Norman Maine, where you get that last name from, um, and he says, "Will you marry me?" And she says, "No." He says, well, "What if I quit drinking?" She says, "Yes." And so they elope with the blessing of the studio. Huh. And in in this specific case. I find it so upsetting that, you know, she didn't put a hard stop on this. You know, that's as somebody who was, I feel like she was so, so starstruck with him that she didn't want to upset him. And the same thing with him, like he didn't want to put her down until it culminates to this big, you know, um, climax of him yelling at her in the bath about how he doesn't agree with the way that she's doing her career. Like they are so quickly in love with each other that they're still in that honeymoon phase that they can't give each other the hard news. And that's just not what a basis of a real relationship is. What they have is for sure real love. I mean, it's very apparent, but it doesn't become a relationship until it's too late. And that's when they realize, well, we probably should have kind of established a couple of things here. And that I think is one of the more realistic um, interpretations of it because the other movies it just kind of like it's back and forth and back and forth. And, oh, he's an alcoholic and now he's in the sanatorium and we can't do anything about it because he's already a has-been. Hmm. And Jackson still has such a prevalent career. They're like, well, whatever he needs to take to keep him going and before he forgets his lines. Hmm. It's just it's something that is it's so upsetting to me. But this is really realistic in this stage because we have, you know, an opiate issue in the country. We have, you know, an alcohol abuse issue in this country. And how many times do you see people standing up and saying, hey, man, I've seen you have too much to drink on a regular basis. And I think you should be looking into that. It's very much because alcohol is legal. That's very much accepted um, until that person, you know, is kind of passed out in a ditch and you see them, you know, going up the stage for the Grammy awards and making a fool of themselves. God, I, so, I, 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 
I usually have a rule, even when I see a movie a second time, that I just don't go to the bathroom in the movie theaters. I've ta- I think I've talked about it on this podcast before, but I'm very anal about it. I, I'll try not to drink anything for like an hour before I go to the movie. And Same like, here. And, I, and but then, <laughs> but every and I'll, sometimes I'll put myself through discomfort if I haven't planned it well ahead enough, and I'll try and hold it in. But on my second viewing, I was like, you know what? I, I kind of have to go to the bathroom. I could hold it the rest of the way. But I'm just gonna take my bathroom break right before he walks up on the stage at the Grammys. I just, it's I, I, so I, it's so, it's so, it's so uncomfortable and embarrassing, and you got to put your hands over your face and watch through your fingers type of thing. I'm like, you know what? I've seen it once. I've seen it enough. Oh, that'll be my bathroom break. <laughs> and they, and they found a way to make it even worse because, I mean, like, I, I'm not gonna like spoil it, but you know, he he does something on the stage that's a little bit more than just talking very loudly and embarrassing himself. You actually hear like a very discordant voiceover of him talking while she's having her Grammy acceptance speech, mm-hmm. thanking her husband. Mm-hmm. And you hear it's like very obvious, like, did you win? Did you win? I don't think you want to be sitting <laughs> on the steps. And then a man, like, I just am watching this the entire time, just going, no, please don't go on that stage. Mm. But unfortunately, they've had the pleasure of just making the audience uncomfortable for every single iteration of this movie because that has happened in every single movie. Mm. They have, like, a, co- a couple of key themes, and they definitely do a service to the, you know, the original versions, including that. But they, they just go a step further. That just makes it just so bad. Like, you cannot come back from that ever. You can't just say, well, I had a little bit too much to drink. This is, you have a problem, and we need to stop it, and you're done in this city. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think it, there's there's some value in it being as horrifying as it is, for sure. Um, and I think it's totally believable that anyone would not need much convincing to go to rehab, rehab after something that public and that embarrassing. And yeah, and the, I don't know, I think, I, one thing I did like was once they were in rehab, how she is very supportive of him once she's there, and you even hear the term, it's it's not your fault, it's a disease, and I think, I don't know, maybe some less nuanced uh, portrayals of addiction in film might just have someone just uh, all out being mad at someone, just blaming the person uh yeah all, no holds bars just put directing all their anger directly at them for making a, a choice to do something bad and it certainly has a more nuanced um look uh nuanced view of addiction than that which i certainly appreciated and yeah, I uh I, I don't i before i go to the to the very end i'm curious just in general one other criticism i've heard of the movie though is that they thought the second half kind of lost her story a little bit and it became way more about him which i mean it's true i just don't know if like there was anything you saw in the earlier movies that made you think like hey it still like was able to tell the tell the woman's story a little bit more and everyone because that's just one thing is like obviously the first half's more about ali's career and i'm like I don't know. It's just this. It, that's the story they're working with. Was kind of my reaction, but a lot of people think that it kind of loses track of her character and doesn't really uh, give her as much agency or let her um, really see her story through as much. Is that something you wanted more of in this movie? Was focusing on her career beyond just singing the bad pop songs, or uh, did you just kind of like the way the story balanced its plot or the film balanced I like its plot? The way that the story balanced its plot because story, I, don't well, even that, I, mean, I don't even know if that's a term that makes sense story balancing no, no, it makes sense okay. you have two you have two main characters in this you have you mm-hmm. know male protagonist and a female protagonist and the female protagonist's rise to fame is the reason for the name of the um the title i mean that that is the reason you can't t- interpret it you know any other way but on a personal level i didn't want to see more of the pop scenes so i'm okay with it but I thought that he did a very good job, you know, kind of explaining and being sensitive to the situation of addiction where that didn't happen in the previous iterations. You actually saw a lot of the female character, um, especially in the Judy Garland iteration where she is just, oh, my God, there is there is a and I, I want you to see it just because it's so well done. There's a beautiful, um, you know, I, I can't think of the word, but it's, a, you know, one thing after the other. Montage? Um, of her, a montage, but it's not. Um, it's her singing a bunch of medley. Medley, yeah. Beautiful medley of her singing a bunch of different songs and, like, this big, you know, show-stopping number. And my God, is she amazing to watch. And, you know, this is – there was a huge scandal – when Judy Garland went for this role because she didn't win the Oscar, it actually went to Grace Kelly. Hmm. And I think the margin was six votes. 
And when you Damn. see this movie, you kind of want to wonder why, because this was written for her. I mean, every single person who has played this female character, it was written perfectly for them. The first woman who ever played it, she actually was an Oscar-winning actress. And her sister, and this is, I think, where it was inspired from, from when she won the Oscar, her sister embarrassed her on stage. Huh. And was drunk. And the second one, you have Judy Garland, who, if you don't know who Judy Garland is, please watch A Wizard of Oz. Please watch, you know, Meet Me in St. Louis. I mean, oh, my God. Um, Then you have Barbara Streisand who just Chris Christopherson shouldn't even be in this movie. It should just be called the Barbra Streisand. <laughs> um, and she was already an Oscar winning actress at this point. She already had, you know, a bunch of different albums was very, you know, um, you know, popular on, on the stage, on the screen, on concert tours. And then you have Lady Gaga who has won, I don't even know how many Grammys. And the reason why, you have this female protagonist, strong female protagonist, is because it's so believable that this person would shoot up to fame. And it's so understandable. But Lady Gaga has such a sensitive, um, you know, background. And just like she does a full 180 with the way that she does her sense of style now that it's almost it's not Gaga. It's very much supposed to be like bad pop star. Yet she still wins, wins a Grammy for it. You know, <laughs> clearly other people like it. Yeah. So I think it is important to focus on Jackson Maine and how how he's reacting to that. Whereas the other iteration just kind of said, "Well, I'm just gonna be an alcoholic as a result of you know me being threatened by my my woman who's being successful." Like the first Star is Born, like it was very unheard of at the time for the female to be the breadwinner. And this one, Jackson Maine almost like wants it. He almost wants a way out, and they even say that in the movie. Yeah. Well, I think it's like he. I think he almost just wants to find some way to uh, to uh, f- funnel his energies into something he sees as worthwhile. Is almost what I would see as it is, and I feel like he sees that slipping away as like she slips away from the genre of music he is like he finds value in. He grabs that beer right after that SNL performance starts. You know, yeah, something like that. I I think, and I I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting. Like I get that it's not as much her story, but I it just didn't bother me because I thought it was like you said an interesting catalyst for him to make the choices that he makes, and uh, just her her career not and not even being totally born out of jealousy, just him feeling useless. And I think that's definitely just more interesting and unique of a story than what I was saying at the beginning about someone just going off the deep end out of pure jealousy. It's just not as compelling and interesting. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. And like that's why you hear him sing for like the umpteenth time. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. I mean, that's what he wants. He wants to kind of move towards a path where he feels like he's being authentic to himself. And he falls in love. And I think all he wants to do is be with Allie. And, wa- and watch her be wa- happy. And watch her be happy, exactly. And he is he's so happy for her fame. But he still wants her to be authentic to herself because maybe – you know, there was a certain level of him fighting with, you know, being an imposter in a way that he's just not who he wants to be. And he doesn't want to see that for the woman that he cares about so deeply, especially because she has such a an incredible level of talent. But I mean, Bradley well, Cooper plays it off so perfectly. Well, I think that's a good a good segue to the final sequence. And I, 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 I we're going to go back through and talk about some odds and ends for the movie after this, because um, there's still a lot of fun stuff we skipped over. But as far as just uh we're talking about him wanting her to succeed and that that being where he sees value at this point in his life he after he's getting out of rehab and they um and it seems like they're in a pretty happy place um when he's back at their house recovering just uh playing with the dog uh shout out to charlie who i guess is also bradley cooper's Cooper's (laughs) real life dog i think from what i what i read today and uh they're having a good old time and then he uh what's his name um Rez shows up and just says like, "Hey, you're you're ruining her life. Um, she, you almost screwed up her career, and like you're gonna just drag her back down again. Even if things seem good now, they're not gonna last." And the first time I heard that, I mean, I'm like, "Well, there might actually be a decent amount of truth in that, given that we've seen him hit the bottle so many times." Uh, but who knows? So maybe he just expedited the inevitable. But I guess because of that, he decides that well, I guess she's better off without me and. I'd, the only way out is for me just to take my own life. How similar is that to how – I think from what I understand, the other movies have different means to get to the same ends. But yes. I, I, 
how did how did you think they how do you think they pulled that off here? Because I thought, I mean, I bought that that character would be struck to the core by someone putting it that bluntly to him because of just how much he cared about her, and. I don't know. And then there's the little wrinkle about of her lying to him about them canceling the European tour and her feeling that that might have contributed it to some way because he's probably thinking all of a sudden as soon as that happens, like, man, they're already hindering her career because of me after she tells him that. Um, whereas she, in that moment, she probably just wants to make him happy. Uh, how, how do you think all that was handled? I think that it was handled well for three out of the four movies, and I will briefly touch upon that. So for the 1937 version, Mm -hmm. he comes back from the sanatorium, which is their fancy way of saying rehab. Um, It's actually, it was known for people who um, suffered from other kinds of diseases also went to the sanatorium to kind of get, you know, healthy again. Um, And she was going to leave her, Esther or, you know, Vicky, whoever you want to call her, um, was going to leave her entire career to take care of him because they needed to release him um, out of custody to somebody. And so she says, well, you can release him to me. I will take care of him and I will give up my career. And when he overhears her saying that, do you want me to say like the actual what happens? Sure. So when, when he hears her saying that he says, I'm going to go for a swim and he drowns himself. And that is almost identical to what happens in the second movie. And I think that that has done so well because He cares about her so much that he doesn't want her to give up her career just to take care of somebody who he knows internally and who everybody is, you know, saying without saying it, you know, is a has-been. Like, she's going to drag herself down by keeping – that's what they say, you know, about negative people, that if you kind of are surrounded by a negative person, that you kind of get dragged down with them. So he did her a favor in those two instances. And it's like it's, a, it's an upsetting favor and she's kind of broken up by it. But in both instances, she kind of rises above it by, you know, concluding the movie saying, hello, everybody. I'm Mrs. Norman Maine. Hmm. Like, because he was forgotten. He was completely forgotten. They, they were saying, oh, are you her secretary? And then it was kind of upsetting to see that because, you know, Norman very much cared about Vicky slash Esther and wanted to see her succeed. And it's hard to hear other people, you know, sort of push him to the side. Now in the Chris Christopherson, Barbra Streisand version, which I'm having issues with, but I'm, I'm also liking at the same time. I can't decide. I can understand why people were mixed on that. Maya's talking about it in the present tense because she has a few minutes left in it as of the start of our recording I of this have, podcast. Yes, I have 20 minutes left of it. But <laughs> in this one, you have this, this, this guy who is not really that talented in my opinion, but from what I've read about the ending, he cheats on her and then he's listening to her music in the car and gets in an ambiguous car accident. Oof. And so she sings one of his songs at the end to commemorate him, to pay tribute to him. And I take issue with that because that completely ruins the depth of the character of the, the Norman Maine, Jackson Maine, whatever you want to call him character. And they do that right in this movie. They kind of bring it back to like, no, no. Jackson wants to make sure that he protects his wife, the love of his life. And what better way to secure her, you know, kind of immortality and stardom by giving her a way out. And Mm -hmm. so they kind of hint towards his suicidal past where he taught, he kind of confides in his therapist and he does it in the same exact way. And that kind of she lies to him saying that, you know, the European tour was canceled and it was the the studio's idea, mm-hmm. whereas she refused to she refused to go on the European tour without him. And the studio mm-hmm. said, well, fine, then you're not doing it. And she's like, that's your fault. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm technically the star here mm-hmm. when she's right. And when Jackson understands that she's going to be giving up a huge career break for him that he had um, that she has an opportunity to have for him. He makes a determination that I need to, I need to let my old ways that I need to, I need to do this and I need to protect my, the love of my life. And it's, it's very heartwarming. Yeah. It's, it's sad because I think, I mean, in addition to the addiction, I mean, I think it is some sort, there is some kind of, I don't want to call it a completely unaddressed element of mental illness, but I think it's, it's there, and I do think I appreciate that the movie's not beating you over the head with it because a, a, a mentally healthier person finds a different way to 
proceed from that point once they come to that realization. But he is just so down on the fact that he doesn't see how he can doesn't see any kind of purpose in life anymore. There's nothing else he can do for her. She's kind of caught up in this other music machine, and I. I, I I guess that that that's kind of what struck me the most was like man if this guy has been like you said he's been probably performing since he was sixteen he's really never had to talk about his feelings all that much he's a manly guy Jackson Maine um, um, I mean that's part of what makes the last Sam Elliott scene that they share so affecting is that like you he probably hasn't had that many moments like that in his life. And I think because of that, it's probably emotionally stunted him to some extent that he had this messed up childhood where he never knew his mom and obviously had a screwed up relationship with his dad and had this weird thing going on where – I mean it's it's alluded to that he um, – his brother had a, a stunted singing career, but he was – his dad also kind of tried to do the same thing. And so he had some kind of involvement, an obviously very unorthodox upbringing and an unconventional upbringing and And his hearing loss let's i mean yeah we we hadn't even talked about that yet so i mean obviously a lot going on he kind of sees that like i'm not going to be like i'm only going to get less talented and i'm not really being able to have the positive effect on her career otherwise would i guess i gotta get i guess i gotta take my take the take the quick way out and there would have been a someone with just a healthier mental state a better perspective on life a better understanding of how to deal with one's feelings that wouldn't that would not be the route they would have taken and i think that's like a it's cool how the movie trojan horses like a whole entire mental illness theme within all the within all these other things that really could just be which which are all their own things that are all very well done whether it be just the music industry or the or more specifically addiction or uh, interesting stories amongst all these characters, it does all of that stuff at once while at the same time being a really fun and entertaining movie. And I feel like we haven't even talked about the fun stuff. So I think that's just why yeah. that's probably the biggest way this movie works for me is that it's able to, to be all those things at once, even if it is possible to nitpick certain things. So, And, and I think that like the Trojan horse point that you're making for mental illness is such an excellent point because you think that his addiction is the problem, but when he's finally sobered up and he has one strike against him to the other, he doesn't have anything to fall back from. And, you know, when, when we see somebody who's a famous star, you think, well, that person has everything. My goodness, like what I wouldn't give to have that. Right. And he, he pretty much, you know, one thing after the other, he's kind of put to the sidelines. And he's just so vulnerable. He has no leg to stand on that you see that character's kind of openness. Just it, it kills him at the end when somebody tells him what's. And here's the thing: Rez was a dick, but he was right. I mean, and I hate to say that because like the character is just so like aggravating to begin with. But he's got an excellent point. What'd you think about his? What do you think about his socks? <laughs> I, I think that they were too small and i don't agree with them i have these amazing little gator socks that i wear they're just so comfortable and i'm just like very proudly wear them so okay. anybody who doesn't wear colorful socks i don't agree sorry with. i should have cut you off but i i, I, I got where you're going though and that he i mean he wasn't totally wrong and but someone like uh like someone like jackson in theory, like you said, that as that's an important part of depression. Even if someone that seems like they have it all, like that's kind of the biggest sign of depression is if you are not happy in spite of all that. But in theory, like he could have res is right and a healthier person maybe accepts that and finds a way to be like, She still loves me. I got Charlie here. I'm gonna find a way to it, make it work. Exactly. Charlie is like the reason. Come on. But I, I think at the end of the day, like I don't think he understands that Allie loves him so much that she wouldn't care and that's the thing that gets to me at the end is that you see from his perspective that he just wants to you know make sure that he's doing her a favor and that he's not dragging her down because you know nobody wants to be a burden on anybody I mean especially when you're dealing with a you know terrible situation but Allie at the end of the day like doesn't consider this a burden she's just so starstruck with him from the beginning that she would do anything to be with him and it's why, you know, when he inevitably dies, you have Sam Elliott's character basically saying, don't blame yourself for this. This isn't your fault at the end of the day. And 
it's it's so wrong for him to say it, but it's so right at the same time because she needed to hear that. I mean, she needed to know that this wasn't her fault and that he didn't do this because of her, even though the audience has so many reasons to believe that he wanted he wanted her to be happy. Right. I think that's a pretty good take that we you, you we or that we share on the the ending so now that we've dwelled so much on suicide and addiction i wanted to talk about some before, before, we, before yeah before we finish i want to talk about more of the fun stuff uh do you have a favorite song on the soundtrack shallow come on well, i sing it like 10 uh, times a day <laughs> uh, after that because i feel like most people are probably in agreement on that is there is there one that jumps out to you as uh is, is like a, a standout so I am low-key a very big fan of Lady Gaga, mm. and I think her rendition of La Vie and Rose is killer. Mm. I mean, if that were going to be eligible for any sort of award, I mean, I would give it to her instantly. But well, it's not because it's, yeah, it's not, not original. original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, I think, I think movies can have up to – It'll have at least two Oscar nominations for song. There haven't been a lot of other. Usually, there's a few other musical kind of movies every year that will all vie for a few songs in there. But it's going to get at least two. And I don't know if there's a. I can't remember if there's a rule capping that at two, but it'll obviously be shout in something else. No, there's no rule because I think that there has um, been an Oscar um, Oscars in the past that have had three oh, okay. um, cool. song nominations. But I'm I'm not 100 percent sure about that. Don't quote me. Yeah. Well, I I mean I. I, I mean, I really liked I'll Never Love Again. Uh, that yeah, was really touching. Was um, when Bradley Cooper jumps back in, uh, that's. That's I mean, when the tears really came yeah, out. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and I really liked uh, Always Remember Us This Way. Like, that was really, that was really fun, too. Um, is it, Are we in agreement that the, that the best scene, maybe, of the year in movies so far is the first time they sing Shallow? I think. You know, I think the reason why that is so good is because you see her eyes like kind of bug out and she's like, oh, my God, what the hell am I doing here? And they just jive well together. It's just like it's so melodic. It's so nicely done. And it's done live in front of everybody at Coachella. Like, that's crazy. Uh, Is it Coachella? I thought Coachella was maybe where he was in the first scene. Um, you you see the Ferris wheel in the background and I know enough about Coachella to know that's a, a part of well, that. You know, there's been a lot of chatter I've on the, been to Coachella, oh, so well, well, there's been, a, there's been a lot of chatter on the internet about how like the movie is geographically kind of sketchy and no one's sure like where her and her family live. They kind of figured out it was a part of LA and then they didn't know where they went on the first trip, but that they knew they went to Arizona after that. So that, well, that's whatever. I mean, I, I, I think the, one of the things though, don't think too hard about the shallow scene is like. Uh, and you got to, I guess, learn to suspend disbelief in certain places, but it's like, they don't really see each other after that first night until they're on stage together, but all of a sudden they have a perfect arrangement and they know exactly all the words and how to perfectly do the duet after they just kind of hummed out a few of the lines in the parking lot of the grocery store. But like, that, you, you don't, you don't, you don't want to think too hard about those things because the scene itself is just so good. And I think what part of what makes it great too, is just the lead up to it and how they shoot the, the run through the bowels of the amphitheater, like a uh i don't know like a like you're in the middle of like a like an intense shootout scene going through a building in an action movie with like a handheld camera and everything like that it's like super intense and i'm a a fairly love-hate relationship with trailers but i i mean i've i watched the first one to this as much as everyone else was forced to that goes to movies and watches tv on a regular basis but i they they dropped the full version of shallow along with i guess a lot of the soundtrack in the two weeks before the movie started so it's like its own music video version of it so you had seen part of it and you'd heard the whole song but you'd seen part of how it unfolded on screen i think that almost just helped even though a lot of times i hide from trailers having watched that music video i was like oh shit this is it this is it this is it and it gets like really exciting that you're gonna get to actually see it, it in its entirety and i think that whole run up to it that little run up to it as she's getting led there by the stagehand, like that just adds to the excitement. And then you know that she's going to run out on stage, but she has to kind of like force herself to, she's kind of teased to do it when he's like, I'm going to do it either way. And she's like, all right. And she just kind of walks out and goes for it. And it's fun. Like she has really interesting expressions on her face throughout the whole time she's singing it. And it's like, it's like might be her best acting in the movie when she's singing. But like, I, we didn't even talk that much specifically about the, the acting, but like, I thought that it was like, I don't know. She was pretty great. 
I think that there's not much to say about the acne except it was amazing all around. And what was Andrew Dice Clay doing being so great in this? I, I mean, that shocked me. Yeah, I mean, I've, have, I, I'm not a, I'm not super familiar with his stand-up comedy. I know some people say it hasn't aged great, and but like people say, he's actually turned into. I don't know. He, he he had a stint on Entourage, and he was in Blue Jasmine, the Woody Allen movie that Kate Blanchett yep. won Best Actress for. And I don't think I've seen him act in anything else, and I didn't even recognize him in this. So, I mean, well, that's the thing is you don't recognize him. Like you see his name, and you know him as being like a very like cringe. He's known for cringe comedy and like kind of yeah. like dirty comedy. And to see him be like this fatherly figure, and then you have, you have two famous comedians who are just kind of like shockingly great in roles that are opposite of what they're known for. You Dave Chappelle. Yeah, I'm glad we got to him. Yeah. Oh my god! Like he can do drama. Are you kidding me? This was wonderful. Like I I don't even know what he was doing there. Clearly, they just threw him in because they're like, well, we need to get Dave Chappelle in here and kind of have someone suggest us to get married, <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> Well, I mean, he's. I mean, he serves more purpose than that. He's. He's. The, he's there. He. I mean, it's. It's. A, it's kind of implied like they grew up together because they say like his son's the same age that I was when we first met. But it's kind of like implied. I guess he might have had some kind of music career at some point and just took a different path. He might have been part of yeah. the hard partying scene, and that's kind of the life that Jackson never had. And it leads up to the funny moment where he's like, oh, I, I never realized how good I had until I saw your ass laying in my front yard, which is like a funny punchline that you give the comedian, even if he's talking seriously uh, up until that moment. And I know I agree. He's like really good. I, I'm trying to think like I, I don't know what I, I, uh, what else has Dave Chappelle really acted in besides uh, like You've Got Mail and like the Chappelle show. Like I know he's done other the stuff. Chappelle show. That's all I, I pray. I mean, like he did the Chappelle show and then like in 2004, he's like, I'm going to be a missionary in Africa well, yeah, and disappeared he, for 10 years. Yeah. I feel like I'm forgetting like at least like one movie that he's done, but like he's obviously a talented performer. Like anyone that's ever watched any of Chappelle show knows that, but it, like you said, it is, it is cool just to like see him get along and like fill in, like blend in, in a movie like that. And I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at it now, like his, his actual other movies are like, fairly limited i knew i knew he wrote half baked and i guess he was in that and that's literally 20 years uh had a small part in uh yeah he's literally been in like one two three movies in the 2000s and one of those was in 2000 first one since undercover brother in 2002 which i think i have some oh by the way there was a nice little undercover brother reunion the guy who married them in the church was also an undercover brother fun fact of the day like there's there are a couple of like little like reunions that people didn't know about like Alias Bradley Cooper was an Alias and Greg Grunberg and I think somebody else I don't remember who they were both an Alias also so it was like kind of little what Bradley Cooper could do by being like the writer and the director and the producer and the actor like he he yeah. can kind of play with that a little bit the other, the other it was thing, totally fun yeah the other thing I did want to say about um uh bradley cooper we, we mentioned his voice earlier and the thing about him stealing sam elliott's voice which i like i thought was like worked really well into the movie and i i i actually i totally i mean i missed i i missed that last scene like it didn't click for me i don't know if like i, I was stuffing my face with popcorn or someone else might be <laughs> made a noise but like it, it was a little hard to hear them like th- like while those are very distinctive voices like the words can get garbled a little bit and maybe i just slightly missed when he said no it was actually you that i looked up to or you that i idolized and uh like i thought that was like that, that like that was the that was probably the next most touching cryworthy cry scene in the movie like when you just see the sam elliott's eyes watering up as he backs the car up out of the driveway and uh that's all done really well and like the whole thing about him stealing his voice it all made so much more sense to me the second time because of me totally hearing that all better but as far as the voice itself i think it's just really impressive that that is not how bradley cooper sounds like if you've ever watched him do an interview or anything that's that's not his voice so i think the fact that like and I and if you've read any of the stories about it, like he worked on it with a dialect coach for six months and his throat hurt just because the way he held his tongue to like have to capture that voice. It's so it's really a technically impressive beat, but just the fact that it doesn't feel like a gimmick is really impressive in and of itself. I mean, and then you have to kind of going back to the Marvel thing. I mean, he does play Rocket Raccoon. He's got mm-hmm. that range, you know. He's yeah. talented, mm-hmm. and we forget this about him. We just look at him like, oh, he's just such a pretty face. He was in Limitless. He did all these different things where he was supposed yeah. to be a pretty guy. Well, we already knew guy. he had a lot of range. Like if you've seen uh, Wedding Crashers and then American Sniper, or 
Um, or, or then, and then I'd say the stuff he's actually the two other things he got not Oscar nominations for and Silver Linings Playbook and uh, American Hustle are somewhere between those two things. And then this is its yeah. own totally different thing. So it just shows that the and then Rocket Raccoon is its own really interesting character that he's brought a lot of something heart to and depth don't to. Don't forget Wet Hot American Summer. Oh, we love that too. movie. That's great too. Yeah. No, have you have you watched the um the Wet Hot American Summer documentary? Uh, yeah, yeah, on, on Netflix, it's Absolutely. like it's like really surreal. It's like I, I kind of want to go watch it again because it's been three years since I actually watched it for the first time. Because I watched it when the the first reboot uh, came out or the the um, first day of camp came out. Like I was, um, I was just like, wow, it's super cool watching like interview with Bradley Cooper. Like, but when this guy like had no idea what he was going to become, and um, that was like yeah, his first, his that was like his first job out of acting school. So it's really cool that like, wow, here we are. 18, 19 years later, and he's literally probably, at least as we speak at this second, like the biggest star in the world because he has this movie in theaters and he can literally probably do anything he wants to now that he's like directed and written and produced and starred in this amazing movie. So, well, he's also going to be in um, that that, uh, Dick Cheney movie that they're making. I mean, did you see that commercial for it? And he was in it like for a brief second. No, you mean you mean the, the Clint Eastwood movie? Clint Eastwood, yes, right. The, right. the, the mule, You're definitely right. the Dick Cheney ones, the, the remember, Vice movie. You know, yeah, yeah. I remember it being before the movie. We'll redact the statement. Yeah, but, so, um, so, I mean, Clint Eastwood is a very hit or miss as a director these days, but if that's a good movie, like, Bradley Cooper is going to have a chance to get nominated for six Oscars in one thing. Like, I know. Pr- pr- producing A Star is Born, acting in it, writing it, directing it. Um, writing songs don't forget r- 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 yeah writing the song which would be five i guess i guess i don't remember exact i don't know which ones he wrote because I, I don't think um because i don't think well, he we wrote his show. grand plan now no he didn't write and, shallow. And, 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 shallow? and then yeah shallow is um like was mark ronson i think i saw that somewhere in uh someone else and i don't remember who but uh but like yeah he had, he'd have five if it's for whatever song he wrote and then six if i get he'd be a best supporting actor if that mule movie is good but yeah. Probably pretty confidently, you could say he's getting at least four uh, nominations. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna break a record for sure, and so. that's definitely like the the whole master plan the entire time. I believe it. Yeah, and uh, like I'm drinking, I'm gonna wear that tinfoil hat right now. Mm. All right, well, you're calling you calling your shot. I <laughs> am, and also we have the son of Willie Nelson, who no one's even you know thought that he was going to be anything and he wrote half of the songs he was yeah. in the background as one of the musicians and li- like little known fact chris christopherson played with willie nelson growing up and they even mentioned willie nelson in the movie so this is all willie nelson that has to do with him wow tinfoil hat theory <laughs> uh all right well is there uh are there any other final points you want to make uh, i'm trying to see if there's anything i I forgot to talk about, but I feel like I hit just about every single thing I had written down. Uh, Sam Elliott is so good and cast him in all the movies. Uh, that's a very big point I want to make. So have you uh, have you watched uh, any of the movies he's done the last few years with the director, Brett Haley? Um, is the one I'll See You in My Dreams. You might enjoy that. I've heard of them, and I really want to see it because The Big Lebowski is one of my favorite movies of all time. And Sam Elliott as the stranger just makes it just so much better than it actually is. Like the movie would be incomplete without him. And any single time I see him cast in a movie, I just am automatically knowing it's going to be good. So I've mentioned this. I think I'm, I don't know. It might've been on my old podcast or this one. I've talked about Brett Haley a few times, but he's like this director that just makes these like small movies about old people that are really sweet. And his movie this year, though, wasn't about old people. Um, or except Blythe Danner, who is like the lead in the movie. I'll see you in my dreams. Sam Elliott plays her love interest and and that but then he, the the year after that one where that's about this older woman that who's wit, recently widowed and is kind of just trying to find her way that that was the first one this guy brett haley did with the old people then he did one called the hero that sam elliott was the star of and he is about an old country western star that's just kind of like coping with the fact that he's gotten a cancer diagnosis and wants to reconnect with his daughter he hangs out with his pot dealer friend played by nick offerman and just kind of um, ends up hooking up with a comedian played by Laura Prepon, 
So it's very interesting. The best cast ever. And then, and then, and then this director Brett Haley's like, "All right, I'll take Nick Offerman and make him the star of my next movie, which is the one that came out this year called Hearts Beat Loud." I don't know if you saw anything about that. Where he, I did and, see something about that. He and Kiersey Clemens, the younger actress, like play a father-daughter songwriting duo, but it's like a lot more than that, and it's about their relationship. So look up that up, and if you just want to see Sam Elliott do some interesting stuff, he wasn't in that most recent one, but he had those two. And there's this movie called Grandma that came out a few years ago. I don't know if you ever saw anything about that, where. Uh, Lily Tomlin's did, did did you do you watch I don't watch it but do you watch Ozark on Netflix? No, I should. The girl, I just, there's the girl so in it. Yeah, things. the girl in that Julia Gardner. She's also on the Americans, um, which is where I know her from. Like she plays this Lily Tomlin's granddaughter who gets pregnant and has to fi- figure out how she's going to get the money for an abortion. And it's just her and her grandma drive around all day figuring out how they're going to get the money for her abortion because she doesn't want to tell her mom, but she feels comfortable telling her grandma. And Sam Elliott plays Sam Elliott plays the grandma's one of the grandma's exes that they just show up at his house and it's like a confrontation between the two of them and it's like an amazing Sam Elliott scene. So. Just Go back on Sam Elliott's IMDb, and you'll see these few movies from the last few years. If you just want to see him be like really good and stuff, um, so that I always want to see him being very good and stuff. He is just, yeah. he, and he definitely made this movie. And like so, knowing now that he tried to copy his voice, yeah. it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and it's uh, I'm glad they gave him his couple Oscar scenes because I mean he's been in the business a long time. It doesn't have an Oscar nomination, so I think that'll change there. True. So very happy for I him. Hope so. And. Uh, but yeah, I think we've uh, we've pretty well covered it, Maya. I really appreciate you being so generous with your time and talking about this with me. It's probably the, it might be the longest yeah. podcast I've done with just one other person about one movie to this point, like since I started the new podcast. And but I think this movie like deserves it. You know, I've I've, I've kind of talked a lot about my guests about how maybe I'm going too long on this stuff, and if people are gonna really want to listen to me drone on and on about this thing. But like, I really think this movie is worth it because it it accomplishes so many things, and I think it's worthy of a lot of time to have it discussed and i think we did a pretty good job of covering all the grounds so um, i completely thank uh, you for having me i know you are uh wanting to keep it pretty low key uh but and last time i had you on you didn't have anything to plug do you want to plug anything i like letting people plug stuff i have nothing to plug i'm just here because i geek out over movies and you're the best well, thank you so much. I'm sure uh, I know you make it a point like uh, like I do to see all the stuff that gets nominated for Oscars. So maybe you'll come back and join us for something during Oscar season. Now that we're just getting into, uh, or I guess this is actually Oscar season. I mean, I was talking about that on my podcast last week. Like September was a very slow month for movies. Yeah. And like I was happy that we finally got into Oscar season, which you're kicking off Oscar season with me. Maybe you'll join me for something else before the end of Oscar season. If not, I'm sure you'll. I'm sure I'm going to make you come back for Captain Marvel. So. Well, um, I, oh my God, I will be. And nobody gets to see these videos, but I will totally be like cosplaying as Captain Marvel during that time. Gladly. Okay. Well, you, you no one's going to see the videos, but you just put that image in people's heads. So some of my listeners that. might not know what you look like, but the ones that do now get to think about that. But uh, you're, <laughs> I'm holding you to the, coming back for that one. But obviously, uh, we'll have to see if anything else comes up between now and then but again thank you and we'll have to just uh well maybe we'll check back in with you too and see if your predictions come right about the oscars too so but happy oscar season yep and and everyone else uh stay tuned next week we might have something on venom depending on uh my timing i'm traveling a lot but that might that might happen if not uh definitely first man so stay tuned for that thanks for listening we'll see you next time